This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Well, good afternoon, Elevate Church. How are you guys doing on this Easter? Man, I'm excited. This is our, this is our fourth Easter worship experience, but I got to I feel like it's gonna be my first, all right? So I'm ready to go, and I really need you to respond back as well. It's gonna help me bring this message. I was thinking about Easter and thinking how uh, it's a funny thing, Easter, because you know what we're gonna talk about, right? I mean, that's why many of you are, are here, and I was thinking about the people that only come twice a year, on Christmas and on Easter, and I'm not knocking you. Maybe that, that is you, and that's, that's cool. You should know that we've labeled you the Creasters, though, by the way. You should know that. But that's cool that you are, are here, and I, and I figured out why you don't come the rest of the year. Because it's like, I only come on Christmas and Easter, and every time I come, you know, they're talking about the same thing over and over and over we actually do talk about more things at the church, but it does all center around, and I'll be honest, about Easter, about the resurrection, about what Jesus did for us. So I get to talk about that today, and here's what I know. Some of you are ready to receive that. In fact, some of you walk through these doors kind of already feeling like God is is leading you to that point where you take a jump and you put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. You've been going to church, maybe. You've been reading books. You've been, uh, you know, checking things out on the internet. You're like, all right, I think I'm there. I think I'm, I'm ready to go. What do I have to do, Colby? I want to seal the deal. And Easter is a great time for some of you to do that, to take that, that initial step, to trust Jesus for salvation. However, there are some others of you in this room that you came through the doors with both feet on the brakes. Like you're here because someone dragged you here. You're here because someone promised to feed you lunch if you came to church, right? You're here because uh, she's a cute girl and I told her I'd do whatever she wanted to do and she said, let's go to church. I'm like, all right, let's go to church. And that's why you're here. Or you're here because you know this afternoon you're going to have to have a conversation with your mama on Easter. And she's going to ask you, did you go to church? And you don't want to be a liar, right? So I don't care why you're here. And I would say for those of you that entered into the room with both feet on the brakes, I would challenge you today to consider Jesus. To consider putting your trust for salvation and forgiveness of sins in him alone in spite of the fact maybe that you've had some bad church experiences, in spite of the fact maybe that, that you, you were brought up with a lot of so-called Christian friends and you think they're all hypocrites, in spite of the fact that you know some Christians, you know, and they're, they're crazy and you're like, I never am going to be one of those. In spite of all that, I would challenge you to consider Jesus. In spite of the fact that maybe when you left home and you went to college, 
and the professor challenged you in your faith. You, you grew up a Christian, but it, you know he pulled one card out of your whole Christian house of cards and it all fell apart. And you're like, well, if this is just a myth, then, then you know, just forget it in spite of that. In spite of the fact that maybe you've had some tragedy in your life, that maybe you, know, you question God and you're angry at God and, and my mother passed away of cancer and God, if you're there, if you're so good, why would you allow that to happen despite that you've had uh, some pain and suffering in your life? I want to challenge you today to consider Jesus. In fact, over the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about some of those big questions that you have. So in spite of all the hard questions, today, the question is, is the resurrection true or is it a lie? In fact, I'm titling this message today, we'll throw it up here on the screen, is that this changes everything. This changes everything. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you should feel awkward. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, it's Easter, right? So you know if you have it on your iPhone, go ahead and do that. We're going to have the, the, mess, the text here up on the screen as well. While you're looking for 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I have some exciting news for you before we dive in. Um, you know our heartbeat as a church really is to get the message of Jesus out as far and as fast as we can. We're laser focused on reaching people who are far from God. And those of you that know that about this church, those of you who have partnered you know, with this church, you feel the ministry, feel it uh, with your tithes and offerings, you just, you know what we're about. Well, this coming fall, I'm excited to announce that we are opening a brand new campus. It's going to be called Elevate East, and that's happening in the fall of 2018 because we want to reach more and more people with the good news that we're going to share with you today. I knew you'd be excited about that, but I thought you might be a little more excited about that. Can we just, isn't that awesome? Like, that's unbelievable that we have the opportunity to do that. You're going to hear a lot of information about that in the coming months. And those of you that have always thought, hey, how do I get involved on the ground floor, how do I get to be a part of something like that? You will have plenty of opportunity to do that, all right? So I'm excited about that. First Corinthians 15, here we go. This is a letter written by a guy named Paul, which by the way, when we first meet Paul, he was not a Christian. So those of you that came through the doors with both feet on the brakes, this might speak to you. In fact, he hated Jesus, hated everything about this movement. He was radical against it, he was a Christian killer. But he had this life transformation uh, take place when he had an encounter with Jesus. And now he, he moved out to plant churches and, and he's writing letters back and forth to this church. And 1 Corinthians 15 is often called the Magna Carta of our faith because it really has a lot of the, the tenets of our faith in it. And I wanna, I wanna read this uh, to you today, but here's what you need to know. When it comes to the Easter story, there really is no middle ground. It's either it happened or it didn't. And you have to decide. Here's what the Bible says. Paul writing this says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. Right here, he summarized the entire Christian faith, that Christ died for our sins, buried, 
and resurrected. And that's why we celebrate Easter, this, this resurrection. Now, either that happened and it changed everything or it didn't. And there's been a lot of amazing things that have, have been the result of the Easter story, of the Easter message. Because of Easter, we have things like hope, we have things like, like strength, we have the hope for heaven, right, for eternity. Easter has brought us things like, like peeps <laughs> and, like, and like Easter eggs, right? And I'm still trying to figure out the whole Easter egg thing a little bit. I don't exactly know how that happened. Did someone go to the tomb and it was empty? They're like, Jesus is gone. Quick, go hide your eggs. You know, I don't really know. But something happened. But what Paul says in this, he says, either all of this is true or none of it's true. Either Jesus rose from the dead, either he was resurrected or he wasn't. And a lot of times we will try to divorce the resurrection from our faith. We will try to remove the resurrection from our belief in God and his promises and all that the Bible says he has for us. But Paul's saying you can't do it. This is not sold separately. Either all of it's true or none of it's true. So here's what that means. We must face up to the fact that if Christ is not risen, what are we doing here? All of this crumbles. All of this is 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 meaningless. So the question that we have to ask, and you would be wise to ask it this morning, afternoon, is it true or is it a lie? Let's say it's a lie because a lot of people believe that. Let's say that the resurrection never happened. Let's say that, that the story of the resurrection was meant to be taken as allegory that his body didn't rise, but his spirit rose. And so it's his spirit, you know, that we follow. It's his spirit that leads us. It's his spirit that we take, take comfort in, that this was mere allegory. The problem with that is the empty tomb. The problem, you know, with that kind of thinking is the appearances of Jesus after his crucifixion. So that's an issue. Or maybe it's a lie. Maybe he didn't rise because perhaps the people will say he never died in the first place. That after his beating, after his whipping, after being hung on the cross, uh, nailed to the cross and being stabbed with a spear, that his heart slowed to the point where people just thought he was dead. But it would have had to be really convincing, right? Because the people who executed him, the Roman soldiers who, who, made the, uh, who performed the crucifixion were experts at it. They were pros at it. In fact, they had some incentive to make sure whoever they crucified actually stayed dead because if they hadn't, then they themselves would be facing death. But let's say it's a lie. And let's say it just happened in this one case that he didn't die, he passed out on the cross. Because this is what people will say. And they took him down off the cross in a coma, placed him in a tomb, wrapped him up with 100 pounds of burial spices, by the way, rolled this two-ton stone in front of the tomb, and who knew? The weekend in the tomb just kind of revived him, brought him back to life. He's like, ripped off the, 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 the linens, the, ripped off the, the burial spices, had strength enough after being beaten and whipped and hung on a cross to roll away a two-ton stone and, and was sneaky enough to get past the Roman guard to find his disciples and say, hey, here I am, I'm alive. And so they chose to believe it and they chose to give their lives for it. Maybe, 
Is it true or is it a lie? Let's say it's a lie. And let's say, because some people uh, say that he didn't rise from the dead because the people who went to the tomb, the first people, the women who went to the tomb, they just went to the wrong tomb. Okay, it's a possibility. These are women after all. And you know how they are with directions. I'm just saying, all right. No, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying they went to the wrong tomb. It, they, there was an empty tomb. It was next to Jesus' tomb. It wasn't Jesus' tomb. It was Pedro's tomb, and Pedro was about to be put in the tomb, but it was empty, and so they got there and like, he's alive, right? It was early in the morning. It's an honest mistake. Emotional, mascara's running. I could, I could see it. But what about then when they went and told the other disciples? Hey, he's alive. Did they too run to the wrong tomb? Or when word got out into the city that Jesus was alive, that he's risen, that the tomb is empty, are you telling me that no officials, no Jewish leaders, no Roman officials said, I gotta see this for myself, went down to the tomb, found the right tomb, rolled the stone away, took Jesus's body out of the tomb and said, here is the guy that you're saying is alive. This one right here, you guys can stop now. Are you telling me no one ever thought of that? Ever thought of, hey, we put so much effort into making sure he was dead, but we're putting no effort into proving that he stayed dead? Maybe there's an easy answer for all of us. Maybe the simple solution is that he didn't rise because after all, Colby, that's impossible, right? It's impossible to rise from the dead. It flies in the face of everything that we know and how the world works, these miracles that happen, that's, that's impossible. It's crazy to think that that would even happen. We know the, the, the laws that this world is, is governed by. Therefore, Jesus could not have possibly risen from the dead. Therefore, he could not possibly be the son of God, which he demonstrated by rising from the dead and defeating the grave. So perhaps none of those things need to be true because the simple solution is he's not God because there is no God. And that's exactly what's been whispered and talked about and debated and discussed in classrooms and coffee shops and blog posts. Some of you have been involved in that. Some of you get involved on Facebook and social media when people are talking about the death and resurrection of Christ. This is the same conversation that's been going on all over the place, that people would say, the simple solution is that there's just no God. There's no God, because life as we know it is simply a product of random chance. There was this giant collision, this cosmic explosion, this big bang that started it all. Something emerged from a spark that began life. Colby, we've read it. We, we know about it. And, and Darwin proved it with his finches, right? I can t show you exactly how I went from tadpole to wearing pants to sipping my latte in Starbucks, okay? Like, I've seen the progress. We've all seen the, the pictures, right? There was a, there was a monkey, and then he turned into an ape, and then he had some posture problems, and he stood upright. And I can show you exactly how we went from that to where we are. So I can explain everything. The simple answer to all of this, of course, is that there is no God. Clearly, Jesus didn't 
rise from the dead. That's exactly what Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians because after just receiving Jesus, after, after giving their life to this, this gospel message, they were being challenged. The same way you're challenged in classrooms, and if you haven't been, you will. The same discussion and argument that people use, there can possibly be no God. Man created God. God, you know, didn't create man. And so he writes to this group of, of Corinthians after being shocked. Paul, what gives? What gives? We thought there was a, a resurrection. What gives? We, we gave our life to this gospel message that, by the way, spread like wildfire across the entire Roman world and is still shaking the world as we know it today. Ever heard of a place called Harvard? Harvard began because they wanted to train people in how to teach the gospel, to present the gospel. Ever heard of the Red Cross? The Red Cross was started by believers who wanted to meet needs. Think of all the art that's in this, this world. Think of the, the Sistine Chapel. Think of the music and Handel's Messiah. What is at the center of all of that? It was all created to honor someone who, who doesn't exist? Really? And so they, they write to Paul, and they're like, Paul, Hey, what gives? People are calling us crazy. People are saying we, we shouldn't believe in the resurrection, that we are loco in la cabeza, essay, like all this kind of stuff. Rightly so. They asked Paul, all right, hey, we thought this was true, but if this isn't true, if there's no resurrection, is it true or is it a lie? And so Paul writes back to them in verse 13. And he says this, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching, this gospel that spread, which by the way, within a couple weeks, 10,000 plus people decided to put their life and their hope in Jesus and were baptized. Like that's, that's the early church in Acts. It's just, it just blew up. He said, by the way, all of that, it is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, no resurrection, no God. For we have said that God did it. God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, again, your faith is useless. And oh, by the way, those sins that you thought were paid for, those sin sins that you thought you were freed from, uh-uh, you're still guilty of those. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ, watch this, are lost. And he doesn't mean like, like dead. In this case, he means like, we just have no idea where they are. They're gone. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, he says, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else. If Christ didn't come back from the dead, people should feel sorry for you. That this is all a fabrication. That this is all smoke and mirrors. That it is meaningless. It's a trick. It's a ploy. So what would be then the implications if this was just a trick, 
just deployed? What, what would it look like to live in a world where there was no resurrection, if there was a, no God in, in this, this world? I'll give you four of them. However, um, if there's no God, if there's no resurrection, and, and people say, well, obviously there's no faith, that this is really the easy answer. It seems simple enough, right, to say there's no God. Big bang, monkeys wearing pants, here we are. Here's what you should know. That logic creates a number of its own issues. And you really should look before you leap. Let me give you four implications of a world without God. The first is this, we have no hope. Any words someone could share with you in your time of tragedy, meaningless. Any words I could bring at a funeral, or I could bring you know, um, if, at the loss of a loved one, pointless. Anything you try to tell someone who who's, has a family member with, with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or someone going through radiation and chemo is all meaningless if there is no hope. If there's no hope, I couldn't say things like, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Why would I say that? Couldn't say things like, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I couldn't say things like, even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you know, you'll fear no evil, his rod and his staff will, will comfort you. There would be no point to that. You remove the resurrection, you remove hope. And that's what Paul's saying in verse 18. Hey, those who have died, who've been in the grave, they're just gone. You're never gonna see them again. Remove the resurrection, there will be no reunion with them. Remove the resurrection. Your hope for eternal life, for the everlasting, for the hereafter, uh-uh. It's pointless if there is no hope. There's no God, there's no hope. Another implication if there is no resurrection and no God is that life is meaningless. There's no intelligent design to any of this to your bodies, to this, this world, if in fact this all just did happen from a, a co cosmic collision, right? Everything can be explained by biology, which by the way, if this world just happened by you know, a big bang, then it's like, dang big bang, way to go, great job, right? Look around. Like this kind of is unbelievable then if this was just all you know, just a happenstance, it's just an occurrence. Because right now, think about it, we're on this, this earth spinning like a top at 1,000 miles per hour. A little bit less the closer you get to you know, the northern hemisphere. But like 1,000 miles per hour while simultaneously like going around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. That's what's going on right now. Like you go outside, there's not even a breeze. It's crazy. But you're sitting right here <laughs> in your Easter kicks, you know, drinking your coffee, and that's what's happening. And while that's going on, by the way, we are the perfect distance from the sun to avoid burning up and to avoid freezing to death. It's called the Goldilocks environment. And there's, there's not another known environment like it in the universe. It's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right, right? It's the Goldilocks environment. But guess what? It's meaningless. No resurrection, no God, none of that matters, because we can explain it all away. I can explain why you are the way you are, why, why you like the things you like. I can explain, you know, the earth by the, the elements and the periodic table, and, and we can look to all those, those things. It's meaningless. It just happened, and things are playing out the way they should. At least that's what Hawking's would say, right, that, that things have been set in motion, and they're just playing out exactly the way it's been determined. Hey, okay, if you want to feel that way, 
but that means everything you do is utterly meaningless. Get up to work on Monday. What for? Go sit in your cubicle. Get your, you know, Q1 report ready. Like, meaningless. Go on a search for your favorite stapler in the office. Meaningless, right? Do all you can to accumulate money and wealth. Pointless. Build a business with your name on it is meaningless. It means nothing. That was the conclusion that uh, Solomon came to in the book of Ecclesiastes. He was the, wise, the wealthiest man and the wisest man to ever walk the planet. In fact, people would come from all over. Ships would sail just to see him, to, to look at his kingdom, to, to hear about the wisdom and the wealth that he had. And he arrived at the conclusion, hey, I, I searched for it all, but I couldn't find anything apart from God worth many. I searched for it in, in women. I searched for it in work, in wealth, in, in everything, but I could not find meaning. He, he, he said that it's all just throw pillows. You know what I'm saying? You put them on the bed, you take them off the bed. You put them on the bed, you take them off the bed. You put them on the bed, it's all just throw pillows. They, they serve no purpose. In my house, on my bed, there are eight pillows. Eight pillows. I sleep with one of them. You feel me, don't you? I have eight pillows on my bed. I'm not even allowed to lay on my bed and put my head on those throw pillows because my wife's like, get your greasy head off those pillows. They serve no purpose. In fact, they just frustrate the heck out of me. It's like, what are they even doing here? Like, who cares about all these pillows that are on, on the bed? They're just a barrier for me getting my sleep, right, and, and, and to making the bed. And that's what Solomon says. Hey, everything is throw pillows. It's, it's meaningless. No resurrection. No, no God is meaningless. All your wealth, all the things that we, we chase. And, and you might be here saying, well, I don't chase that stuff. Colby, I'm not after wealth. I don't really care about money. I'm anti-materialism. I'm, I'm anti-big box store. I don't even go to Target. Like, I shop local. You know, that's, that's it. That's what, that's what I do. And Colby, you should know that I care about the environment. I care about the world. I worry about my carbon footprint. I worry about the ozone layer. Like, my motto is see a tree, hug a tree. <laughs> see a tree, hug a tree. Well, that's great, and you sound super fun. We should hang out. Um, <laughs> but here's what you should know. All your efforts for that are meaningless too because if this is true that we are simply just Goldilocksing around the sun, the sun is a star, what happens to stars? They die. They explode, they implode, or they do something, right? Champagne supernovas in the sky, you know, they're just, they're, they just die at some point. And so what do you think happens to this world when that happens? It's bye-bye, it's gone. So all of our efforts really are meaningless. If there is no God, there's no resurrection, nothing we do matters, and again, this is what Paul was speaking to in that same passage in verse 33. He said, you know what? If that's true, there's no resurrection, there's no God, we might as well just drink it up because tomorrow we die. He's saying, let's crack a cold one because that's as good as it's going to get. Another thing, 
Another implication, if this is all just a, a fabrication, no, no resurrection, no God, here's what you should know. You are a body, nothing more. That's all you are. That's it. In fact, there's a guy called uh, Christopher Hitchens. He's kind of the new thought leader in this atheism movement that's out there uh, where he, he refused treatment for his chemo because he says, I'm not really Christopher Hitchens, I'm just a body. It's pointless. And when my body's done, it's done. So here's what you should know is if there's no God, you're a body and nothing else. That means this idea of having a soul or having a spirit is foreign to that. Like if we just all happen here and it can all be explained with biology, then you're just a body. That means I'm not Colby, just a body. You're not uh, Cameron, you're just a body. You're not, you know, Susie, you're just a body, that's it, nothing more. And we don't have little kids, by the way. They're just little bodies that came from our bodies, okay? That's it. It's nothing more than our species trying to keep itself from extinction. That's what reproduction is. So we're just bodies, and that's what he said, nothing more. So there's no hope, there's no meaning. Uh, we are just a body, nothing more. Aren't you glad you came to church on Easter at Elevate, huh? You're like, this is the worst Easter message I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. I told you, honey, we should have gone to the church with the khaki pants. I'm just saying, <laughs> hang in there, because we are gonna turn this around. But I have one more. There's no answer for your ache. There's no God, there's no resurrection, and there's no answer for the aches that you have. So why is it that we will lay in bed at night having common thoughts? Thoughts and longings for desires like peace, like um, transcendence, like immortality, thoughts for forgiveness. Like where does that come from? If there's, there's no God, there's no resurrection, there's no answer for this, this void that I feel. So no matter what I do, how much money I make, the kind of car I drive, the house that I live in is all meaningless. I, it feels like I can never fill that hole that's in my soul, which doesn't make sense, by the way, because we don't have a soul, we're just a body. What about the longing for things like justice? Where does that come from? Somebody please tell me. Isn't that a hot topic right now? We're all crying out, that's not fair, that's evil, they shouldn't be allowed to do that, you shouldn't be allowed to go into a school and shoot the place up, that's wrong, you shouldn't ought to do that. Where does that come from? If this has all just happened and here we are and it's all about natural selection and, and you know that's Darwinian thinking, right? That the strong should prey on the weak? Then we should be applauding when someone who's stronger takes advantage of someone who's, who's weaker, What's that about? What's this sense of justice for? In fact, we should, where does this need to come from to, to take care of someone who's handicapped? Where does that come from? Disabled. Or, or someone, you know, who is, who is sick in their body and their body's never going to recover. Where does, where does that come from? That makes no sense if this is all just natural selection. In fact, this is, this is the conclusion that C.S. Lewis arrived at C.S. Lewis was a, an atheist, became a devout follower of Jesus because he had this exact epiphany. Look at it. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and so unjust. And some of you have said those exact words. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? 
A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? A man feels wet when he falls into water because a man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. My argument against God collapsed for the argument depended on saying that the world was unjust. Here's what I don't want you to miss. I've heard this argument dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. I've used this myself. If God is good, if God is even there, why would there be so much suffering? Why would there be so much evil and wickedness and injustice in the world? C.S. Lewis said, isn't it interesting that we appeal to something that if God wasn't there, wouldn't even exist. And then we throw it in his face as proof that he doesn't exist. Where does that come from? So let's do this. Let's turn this around. Let's flip this script. Otherwise, this will be the most depressing Easter you've ever had in your life. But I don't think it's gonna be. Because if it's true, there's no resurrection, then that means you and I have no hope. But if in fact there is a resurrection, and what Paul's saying is true, that the core of our faith is that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, not only do we have hope, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's someone that you can call on, and someone that you can count on, and he wants to be your best Friends, we have hope. Or what about this, this idea that life is meaningless? No resurrection, life is worthless. What about if there is a resurrection, then life, in fact, is meaningful. And it's not that nothing matters, it's that everything matters. So you can walk into work Monday with your head held high, knowing that people matter to God, knowing that God wants you to, to work hard, to do a good job for the glory of God the Father. So deliver pizzas and deliver them like a boss. Like go to, go to the office and work like a boss, right? I mean, do everything you can. It all matters, like the environment matters. Hug a tree, go hug a tree, I don't care. It matters. What about the idea that I'm just a body, nothing more, and that when my time is over, is game over, is done, that's it. But if Paul, what he was saying is true, that if there's a resurrection of the dead, not only are you a body, but you are body, soul, and spirit, that you were created in the image of God, that he put his spirit inside of you. And what about this notion that there's no answer for my ache? If there's a resurrection, here's what you need to know. There's an answer for every ache. There's a reason you have that hole in your soul. There's a reason you feel that void in your life is because you were created for something more. And until you were created for a person and a place. The person is Jesus, the place is heaven. And we will always feel like aliens and strangers in this world. We will always lay awake at night, wondering, hoping if there's something more, looking for the, the eternal, the everlasting. Uh, Solomon, the same guy that wrote Ecclesiastes, he said in there that God has set eternity in your heart. There's a reason you're asking those questions. There's a reason you're desiring something more. There's a reason you always feel like you're going through life in a go-kart with the governor on. You got the pedal to the metal, right? You're flooring it. You're just not going anywhere. But when those all get snapped together, 
you'll understand there is a reason for every ache that you have. Now, here's, here's what I know. There are those of you in this room that you're like, yeah, that's it, man, that's it. I believe that. But those of you that came in the room with your feet on the brake, here's what you're saying. Colby, you're not fooling me. Of course, hope is better than no hope. Duh. Of course, having a life of meaning is better. Of course, I'd like there to be an answer to these, these aches. Of course, a resurrection and following Jesus is preferable to the other list that you gave me if I had to choose between the two, but you still haven't proven, Colby, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Here's what I think. I don't think you should follow Jesus because it's a better option. I think you should follow Jesus because this word tells us that he lived and he died and he came back to life for you. And here's what you should do. You should research it. It's been said that there is no, no greater evidence for, than, than, than the evidence that we have for Jesus Christ coming back to life and the tomb being empty. It's been said that, that we have better reason to believe in that than we do that Julius Caesar conquered Britain. We have better reason to believe that Jesus was alive, buried, and came back to life than that Homer wrote the Odyssey. Like, we have so much evidence to prove that, but here's what I'd say. You need to look for it for yourself. And that's what Paul said in this letter. He didn't pull the whole, hey, Jesus is alive and risen because I said so card. You know, parents, how we like to pull that card with our kids? Why do I gotta do that? Because I said so. He didn't pull that card. Here's, here's what he said, look at it. In verse five, he said, all right, don't take my word for it. And this, by the way, was written 20 to 30 years after the 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 crucifixion and the resurrection. And people will sometimes, you know, go, well, Paul wrote that decades later, decades later after that. Are you telling me you don't remember what happened 20 years ago? Like, really? Like, who wrote the song? I can feel it calling in the... Who wrote that? Phil Collins. You know how long ago he wrote that? Like 300 years ago. So I'm just saying... <laughs> Paul was saying this, and I know it happened 20 years earlier, but he's saying, hey, he wasn't just seen by me. Don't take my word for it. I had a different encounter. Remember, Jesus approached me on this road uh, to Damascus. I, I saw something different, and he says he was seen by Peter and the apostles. But more than that, here's what you can do. You can take yourself, you can hop on the next camel to Jerusalem and you can go down and there are 500 people that you can look in the eye and ask them if Jesus was dead and he's now alive and they will tell you, yes, he is. And if that's true, then it changes everything. It means your, your hope is not in vain. It means this ache that you have is not in vain. It means that your life has meaning the way you serve, the way you give, the way you love, the way you take care of one another is all, has a purpose for it. It changes everything. So you have a decision to make. Is it true or is it a lie? I want us to, think about that right now with every head bowed, every eyes closed. On this Easter Sunday, which we wouldn't be here, this movement called the church that was birthed 2,000 plus years ago, that spread throughout the world, just think about that. 
in and of itself, if this never happened, that wouldn't have happened. So the fact that you're sitting in a room on this earth, spinning and hurling rapidly through space is evidence that for God so loved. Something else while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, something you should know about Paul is that Paul went on to plant churches to tell people something he was sold out to and ended up dying for it, losing his head. There's a lot of people who will give their life for the truth, but I don't know a lot that will give their life for a lie. Paul, the apostles, all took this message of the resurrection to the world, and it changes everything. And it can change everything in your life. The moment that we believe that Jesus died for us, the moment we believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day, we can experience new life in Christ as well. The way we do that is through prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. The most important thing is that you believe it in your heart. And so I'd invite you to pray something simple like this. You can pray it out loud. You can whisper it to God. But this is why, why you're here. If a light bulb went off in your heart or in your mind, that has nothing to do with the message. It has to do with God moving in your heart. It has to do with the Holy Spirit turning something on inside of you and God drawing you to him, saying, I want a relationship with you. So this is how we do it, through a simple prayer, something like this. You can use your own words. Jesus, today, I believe that not only did you die for my sin, that, that in and of itself is an unbelievable act of love, but that you conquered my sin by conquering the grave. And so I put my hope and trust in you for salvation. I put my hope and trust in you for a new life. I put my hope and trust in you for, for meaning, for the aches that I have, for the hurts that I have, God, that I can have hope now in you. And so Jesus, from this moment on, I confess you as Lord and as Savior, forgive me of my sin. You have my life in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If this Easter you made that commitment, you prayed to receive Jesus for the first time or for the first time in the long time, would you just shoot up your hand right now? No one's looking. I just wanna pray for you wherever you are. Just throw it up. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. I love what God's doing in your heart and in your life. You can put your hands down. God, I pray right now for that seed that you planted, that it would be good soil, that it would take root, that their trust and their hope and their faith in you would continue to grow from this point on in Jesus' name. Now, church, let's celebrate with those that made a decision. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.